Just a couple of words before the sermon itself. I believe that we still have a, a godly leader, godly man. I know David's like, Mitch, don't, not anymore. I know that's the way you think, David. But uh, we have not lost a, a godly man, but we have lost a very good, competent, godly elder. And so this day is, is as some say, a sad day, but it's, it's not the end. The Lord's church will continue on. It always has and always will. And we will look by the grace of God in due time for more men that will step in the place that David and other men have served, like Ron, um, in, in their places. And, and so it can be a, a wonderful silver lining if we, we take the time for it to be such. The other thing I wanted to share, um, I've been getting a lot of like questions with regard to Hawaii and the volcano situation, and I thought, what a great, Kim was just asking me about it, so I thought, I'm just going to spend just a minute sharing that with you. Um, just real quick, I don't have any family members, relatives on the big island, the island of Hawaii, and it is the location on the, the eastern part of the island, and it's a large, large island, by the way. It's, we call it the mini mainland, um, very, very large, but there's a small, small part of that island in which the eruptions cause earthquakes that may affect some parts of um, the rest of the island and maybe Maui and I maybe even as far as Oahu as far as I'm concerned but um but the main area the, the Puna, Pahoa, Kilauea all these areas that small area it's really limited to um, direct threat but I do have friends that have gone to high school that live in that area um so please keep your thoughts and your prayers for them and for all the residents in the islands. All right. So one of the things that, that I've been wanting to do is when I'm trying to reach the gospel with those in our community is deal with subject matters that will directly affect them. And sometimes, you know, as you, when you go and, and you preach and you're coming up with sermons and things of that nature, you're, okay, what do I preach on and so on and so forth? And I thought... You know, not to be lazy, but to be efficient. Why not hit some subjects from time to time that will do both a service? In other words, deal with the subject, in this case, hypocrisy, from a standpoint of those that I'm trying to reach and those that we as children of God should be trying to reach that has a problem with the church with regard to hypocrisy. And then deal with it from a standpoint of, of us, you know, a message to us. Things that where we can point the finger at ourselves and look at this subject matter and, and deal with it in a very, hopefully, humble and real way. And so, we're going to deal with hypocrisy in the church. This subject matter is not new, right? So, we go to the very first century and we can actually deal with the subject of hypocrisy literally by the apostles themselves. So in Galatians chapter 2, you can read of when the apostle Paul actually goes face to face with another apostle whom he loves and says, brother, you and the other church leaders have fallen into hypocrisy. Y'all look so good having fellowship with Gentiles until your Jewish brethren come around and because of their views influence you to play the hypocrite. And so Paul dealt with it that way. And then we can see throughout the centuries, um, you'll hear of people saying, well, you know, the, the crusades this and the crusades and a bunch of things along those lines where, 
you have people who are literally forcing non-believers to become Christians or in attacking Muslims and, and so on and so forth. Centuries and centuries of these kinds of crusades. And then we come to modern times. Barna did a research back in 2008. It came out the very first week of, of January 2008. And it was picked up on various news outlets, including the Tuscaloosa News. And it was reported in the Tuscaloosa News um, from the Barna research that 72% of those who call themselves, well, those who are labeled non-churchgoers, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God, they just never went to church. 72% said the reason why they would not go to any church was because the church was full of hypocrites. 72%. Now, there have been no research that I have seen, and uh, usually the University of Chicago is part of this organization called NORC, and they do a lot of research, social research, and I have not seen any research since 2008 about, along these lines. I'm going to guess, right, postulate that the number is even higher today. Think about it. At the very least, if, if, if the numbers would say the same, that is, 72%. Three out of every four people that says they would not come to church is because the church is full of hypocrites. And some of us might say, yeah, but, you know, they just whatever so that they don't come to church. And maybe that's sometimes the case, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's really true. Sometimes that's the reason why they're not coming. Because they look at the way people who call themselves Christians behave, and what they see is hypocrisy, right? On one side of the mouth, love your neighbor. On the other side of your mouth, judge them. You know, put them down, and whatever else may come. And so you, you get this view, and you see why they don't. In fact, there was a time in which um, early in my preaching days, that I remember talking to some Christians. They were part of another congregation, and there was division among these two congregations. And I said, do you not even recognize that what we are doing is actually destructive to the cause of Christ? Because there are people in the community that when I share the gospel, they tell me about our division, and they let me know why why would I want to be a Christian if, if that's how you all behave? And I had no answer for him. And so hypocrisy is well and alive. Uh, even the well is not a good word. It's alive and destructive even today. So I think if we're going to deal with the subject matter here, and, and we're, all, we're just going to not deal with all the ins and outs of what hypocrisy entails, but just generally knowing what hypocrisy is, just deal with just the problem itself. And we're not helping the cause. We are not doing ourselves any favors if we're trying to reach those outside the body of Christ. If we look down upon their own sins, their way of living, while blind to our own. We do ourselves no favors. Right? We talk about having godly marriages. And our marriage is well, not so godly. We talk about having... Um, a holy lifestyle, being good, moral, upright individuals, and they see us out living immoral, ungodly lives. We talk about having clean words, 
And then we were out here with words that aren't so clean when we leave this building and when we leave one another. That's wherein lies our own hypocrisy. And so we may look down, some, and some Christians have. I've heard it from the mouths of my brothers and sisters in Christ where we look down upon those in the world and their ungodly lifestyle, but blind to our own. Or we minimize our own sins. You know, while my sins aren't so bad. You know, I don't have their sins. They're really ungodly. And yes, we're all sinners, so I get that. But being sinners and recognizing that we are saved by the blood of Jesus, yet still sin, don't minimize that. We need to be able to own it. And so we're not helping ourselves, we're hurting ourselves. And so this problem, as was given in in Matthew chapter 7, is that we sometimes unwittingly struggle with our own hypocrisy in the middle of living this hypocrisy. In other words, we might want to tell the world all their problems. And sometimes, that's why I've mentioned in the pulpit, we need to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, work with them once they make the decision to follow Jesus. And there's a lot behind that statement. I'm not getting into all what that means right now. But what we sometimes do is put the cart before the horse, and we want to fix them all. We want to make sure that they are good, godly people before they turn to Christ. And therein lies this concept here, that we unwittingly struggle telling the world how they need to be living without addressing our own sins. And so that's why Jesus was telling those, you hypocrites, you need to look at your own sins before the sins of others you know and and while it may be a speck in their own eye you've got a plank in yours but you can't even see it because you're blind to it and it's not just once but this passage of hypocrisy is is used throughout various parts of the new testament so that's the first thing that we need to understand and the second thing is this there is a double standard And this is one of the only times I'm okay with double standards. I won't tell you why. And this is is endemic in the body of Christ, by the way. I hear it from Christians, godly Christians, mature Christians over the years, that we want godly, God-fearing political leaders. Have you ever heard of that? You want godly leaders in office. And I've heard some Christians that have actually exclaimed for wanting godly leaders, but they can't serve if you're a Christian in political office because that's diametrically opposed to being a Christian. (laughs) Did you hear what you just said? I've heard brethren, I've heard preachers even. We need godly leaders, but they can't be Christians. How do you expect the world to live? Because I expect the world to live like... The world not like Christians right and therein lies this problem so while it may sound odd what makes the world the world is living like world worldliness what makes Christians look like Christians them living like Christians right but if the world looks at Christians like wait a second you guys call yourselves Christians it means you are followers of Jesus Christ I, doesn't look like it 
And the reality is there have been those who are not believers of Jesus Christ from a moral vantage point may seem more upright than those who have professed with their mouth, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've seen it. It happens. And so this is very important that when we talk about this double standard that you should expect the world to live like the world. You should not expect the world to deal with the sin of hypocrisy, let alone the sin of adultery, let alone the sin of homosexuality, or any other thing that the scriptures explicitly says is a sin. They're going to live like the world. And brethren, what's our responsibility? And therein lies the, the catch of this particular message this morning. What's the catch? Because when I go to people in the world, I'm, my goal is not for me to make them tell them how they're supposed to live their life. My goal is to bring good news to them that they're lost in those sins. And if we look like people who truly believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will reflect in our behavior. And one of those things is how we look at and treat our neighbors who are in sin. It really is. This is huge. This, if you don't have this mindset, I beg you to have it. Even if you disagree with me, stop and think about it for a little while. Jesus calls us to follow him and to become more and more like him, to be made in his image. And then we make that change once we are in him. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's why you have Paul telling Christians, you know, you got the world and they live according to the world and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't. Those that will inherit the kingdom of God are those who have been sanctified. Right? So look at the passage with me. And I want you to read and notice the transition in the text here and see how it plays in part with this quote-unquote standard that we're talking about here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Remember, here is um, the Apostle Paul telling the body of Christ to be this holy uh, people as a temple of God. So beginning in verse 9. Uh, let me back up. Uh, wrong. 1 Corinthians Here we go. Yeah. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he's talking about individuals who are called to live differently. What we wanted to do is make them live according to the teaching of God without them having to become a follower of God through Jesus Christ. And so that's what I'm talking about. It's a double standard is going to exist. Whether we like it or not, that's a reality because you expect the world to live like the world. You don't expect the world to live like Jesus. That happens when you follow Jesus, right? So second that we look at is this. And this is the, the part that I want us to finish with because this is our responsibility. We as children of God, individually and collectively, and so individually, 
we're all sinners, and we come to the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we come into this body of believers, right? We're added by Christ to his kingdom. Here's what we, as the body of believers, need to be able to do. And not just lip service, but really own what we're talking about. And when I say own it, this is, this is the difference between what some might see, and I've been judged this way myself, like... When I talk about my past, I do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, so I don't talk about your past. <coughs> Especially if you confide in me. Because that would be gossip, first of all, and that would put it in the wrong place. And I get all that. The other thing is, so use myself from that standpoint. The other thing is, it's not to glorify sin. And some have actually thought that my goal of sharing my past sins is somehow glorified that's the worst thing you can think of me i share it because it's a reality i share it because well honestly in some cases it has become therapeutic you know you go to any place and the first step is to admit your problems it really is and the more you can admit it the more freely it becomes to recognizing your own weaknesses and your own sins. The more you suppress, the more you justify, the more difficult it is to own your sins. That's, that's, strong. that's why we're Galatia, uh, James chapter 5, confess our faults to one another. All right? So we need to be able to acknowledge, uh, recognize and acknowledge our own sins. That's, number, that's the first thing we need to be doing if we're going to be children of God. That's what we've been saved, right? Our sins is what we need to be delivered from. And that's the whole purpose of the good news. It's because we're all sinners. And just because we come into the body of Christ does not mean we stop sinning, right? Doesn't mean it's just, boom, overnight, instant perfection. It just doesn't happen. And the reality is... For a number of us, there are some sins that we will struggle through until our last breath. And we'll still have been struggling through them. We'll never have been perfected from a sinless vantage point. Never. For some of us, we are able to overcome certain temptations. And for others of us, those very same temptations will plague us for all our lives. All right? So that's the first thing we need to do. The second thing is, if we're going to shine our lights, Matthew chapter 5, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I should say. If we're going to shine lights for this world, we're going to do so by loving God and loving our neighbors, right? That's the whole of, of what Scripture says is the law and the prophets, right? So when we talk about loving God, we're going to love him and we're going to acknowledge loving him imperfectly. Does it make sense that we will love him imperfectly? Because even God himself was talking about, with regard to hypocrisy, how these certain individuals will make their offerings to God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. You ask those people who are called hypocrites by Jesus, do you love God? You know what they'll say? Yes. And some of them, to an extent, do love God. They're blind to their own hypocrisy because their hearts are far from him. There are sometimes as children of God, if we look at all of our lives and we get deep into every single person's life, it will be exposed. We don't really love our God as, as well as our lips have said. That's part of the reality that exists in the body of Christ. 
right? So we're going to recognize our sins, acknowledge them. We're going to love our God. And over time, this is what happens to us. In your mind, you should always have this, our lives being conformed more and more and more if we're growing in Christ into his image, right? That's what he's saying, that we are conformed into the image of his son, of Jesus Christ. So if we love God, as we grow closer and closer, we begin to look more and more like him. Hopefully, in 2010, you saw a man who loves God. And hopefully in 2018, you see a man who loves God even more. Right? For those of you who have known me personally that way. So that's what we hope to see in us. Knowing that between 2010 and 2018, there are all these moments in Mitch's life, let alone every one of yours. That's just a reality. Okay? But we're going to strive to love our God more and more over time. Then we're going to love those who are lost. And this is the tricky part. Because... On one hand, we're not going to partake in the sins of the world. We've left the world. We've, we've put those things to death, right? That's the, that's the mind, putting them to death. And the reality of life is sometimes we participate in the very things we're try, striving to crucify. So if we have difficulty doing that, we need to look at our neighbors that are not Christians that they're not even thinking anything of it. Like before I was a child of God, I was living in sin, and I might be embarrassed about certain things I was engaged in that was sinful, so I would hide my actions, but I didn't think of it as life and death. Never thought, about it, thought of it as God's judgment upon Mitch Davis, I'm going to lose my soul forever and ever and burn in rotten hell. No. My life is, I didn't kill anyone, I'm good to go. That's honestly how I felt before learning the gospel. But I know, as I have heard words from Christians like, oh, Mitch, where's my beloved bride? There we go. Julie, Mitch, I would not have liked you if I'd known you and your past when I met you. Real words, right? Okay, my wife's words. Even she admits to this. <laughs> and the thing is, what she and every one of you here in this room, including myself, can do with someone like me before I was a Christian is love me. Show me the beauty of God. Show me the beauty of his son. Show me by the way you live. You see, when God sends his reign on the unjust, let alone the just, we get the picture of why he would send it on the just, because we're the just. But he sends his reign on the unjust. He sends blessings to those who are evil. Why? Why is it that some people... That, that live wickedly, good things happen to them. Because sometimes God is just gracious even to the wicked. Now, their end judgment is a different ballgame. But while they're here on earth, he still showers them with his goodness. Brethren, we have opportunities not to partake in sin and darkness, but to shower goodness on the very world we say we are striving to reach. And therein lies the grace that God has coming through our lives. That's how we can love the lost. And that is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, he says, To the weak I became as the weak, so that I might win some of the weak. 
Well, extrapolating that, whether you're talking about those who are in this world or those who've come out of this world and are in the body of Christ, we have brethren that are weak. Not weak from a standpoint of the conscience, 1 Corinthians 8, Romans chapter 14, although it's inclusive of them, but weak in that their lives are, have not been translated from darkness to light. And they struggle with the ways of worldliness. How do you treat our brothers and sisters in Christ like this? Encourage them. You may have once been walking in their shoes. There are brethren that are weak, that struggle with all kinds of the ways of the flesh, if you will. And if we have the love for them, the way the Apostle Paul had taught that we would be as the weak to the weak. That doesn't mean we participate in their weakness, but we try to understand them where they are at. We, we try to, from our vantage point, walk in their shoes without actually walking in their shoes, if you know what I mean. And that's what he's saying. And so to the lost or even the weak among us, we're going to try and share good news with them. And one of the ways that we do that is not just sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but Showing them the love of Christ. I guarantee you, you look at everyone that Jesus healed. Not everyone was, was necessarily a follower of him and said, okay, you follow me, I'm going to heal you. Jesus didn't have some qualification before he healed anyone. Sometimes it was before an act of faith on their end. You'll notice that. That's what I'm talking about. If we as children of God can acknowledge, I mean, recognize and acknowledge our own sins, love God through our imperfections, love our neighbor even through our own imperfections, and let them know, hey, I still struggle myself. You're going to see less and less people who are looking at the church as a bunch of hypocrites. And what they're going to see is people who are following God through their imperfect ways, but try and draw closer and closer to him. And they're going to see people who say they love, love God and say they're supposed to love their neighbor and be like this good Samaritan person that we read of in Scripture, and they're trying to live that way. Brethren, our lives is a perception to the lost. Our lives is a perception to those outside the body of Christ. And if they see in us a lifestyle that looks from their vantage point that says belief with their lips, unbelief with their lives, they see hypocrisy. And if we want that to change, we start with us. So, this morning, on the radio, my message was to all of our neighbors in this area that, yes, the church has to deal with hypocrisy in the church. And my goal was, as those who are outside the body of Christ, I would want them to look at you and me as individuals, not as a church full of hypocrites, but as an individual. Get to know me individually. Get to know you individually. And the question is, do they want to get to know you individually? Right? Would they see hypocrisy? Or would they see someone who readily admits, yeah, I may have been saved by the blood of Jesus, but I still am guilty of sin. I still struggle with weakness. And once you come be a part of this congregation of those who love God and love their neighbors, and you will imperfectly struggle with your own weaknesses too.
verses, I'm not going to deal with these people because they're a bunch of sinners. <laughs> that's, a, that's why Jesus came to this earth. He came amongst sinners to save sinners. And we are told to go out into the world full of sinners and bring them to his kingdom. How we do it is every bit as important as what we say to them with regard to the good news. So if you're here this morning, I want you to realize that this sin of hypocrisy, well, it's just something we've got to deal with. But we can start with ourselves. And we start with looking in that mirror, God's word, and seeing whether or not I'm living up to that standard. And I'm going to know that if I'm putting away a lot of the worldly ways of my life, that people will see the change in me. They will see conversion. They will see transformation. They will see a confirmation, right? Being conformed into the image of our son or the son of God. They will see that change in you and know that's not hypocrisy. That's translation from someone of the world to someone who's actually following Jesus. That's your invitation, brethren, if you need prayers for, for you in that regard. And for those of you that are not walking with God and never put on Christ, don't think that you are any different than anyone else has ever come into the kingdom. You're a sinner. And Jesus died for you because he loves you. And God gave you his son because he loves you. And he wants you to love him. And he wants you to love those that are just like you, that are lost in your sins, but he wants to be giving you that opportunity for salvation. You can be buried with him right now. So together we stand and sing.